Welcome to ABC at Noon. My name is Paul Schreiner and my co-host, Larry Boss, is off today. This is a special edition of ABC at Noon. On Thursday, October 17th, from 7 to 9 p.m., a candidate forum was held at Trinity Lutheran Church. The forum was sponsored by the creators of the document called An Agenda for a Better Community. And all candidates running for office in Valparaiso were invited. Seven of 19 candidates attended the forum. This is a busy time for office seekers with fundraisers and other meet and greet activities taking place. Of the seven at the ABC forum, six were Democrats and one represented the Green Party. There were no Republican candidates in attendance. We will present the entire forum on today's show, all two hours. The opening four questions came from the creators of the ABC. These questions dealt with the welcoming community, affordable housing, health care, and the local economy. After each candidate had an opportunity to respond, the audience of some 60 Valpo residents were given the opportunity to ask questions. These questions were not pre-screened. The participating candidates included Bill Durnell, Democrat, running for mayor, Susan Brown, Green Party, running for city council from the 1st District, Robert Cotton, Democrat, for city council from the 2nd District, Angie Crossan, Democrat, running for city council from the 4th District, Gilles Charrier, Democrat, running for city council from the 5th District, Todd Etzler, Democrat, running for at-large council seat, and Aaron Stoich, Democrat, running for clerk-treasurer. This forum is unedited. It is 7 o'clock. If everyone would find a seat, we're going to get this thing started. You can move the signs anywhere you want to. You want to sit next to me, huh? I did not. Oh, that way it is? We're playing musical candidates up front. We'll, we'll address that issue. I'd like to welcome all of you to the Agenda for a Better Community Candidate Forum. My name is Paul Schreiner, and I want to make very clear that we invited every candidate running. There's 19 in all, two mayoral candidates, two city clerk candidates, and 15 city council candidates seven Republicans, seven Democrats, and one, and I want to say independent, but I'll get my head cut off, one Green Party candidate. <laughs> so here's a little practical stuff. 
This is not an event sponsored by Trinity Lutheran Church. They have simply accommodated us by allowing us to use the room. And they do that for lots and lots of different things. If you have to go to the bathroom, as you go to the rear and out that way, straight across is a ladies' bathroom. The light may, may indicate that, the, that it's dark in there, but as soon as you walk in, the light goes on. If you turn to your right slightly, there is a, uh, what do they call it when both male and female can use it? Whatever. Anyway, if the doors close, knock. That's where the men should go. Here's how this is going to work. I'm going to make a few more remarks, and then I'm going to turn it over to Pat Terrell, who is going to talk a little bit about the background of how the Agenda for a Better Community came about. And then we are going to address questions in four areas to the candidates. Those areas will be the welcoming community, housing, health care, and economy. the economy. Thank you. Uh, after that, it is up to the audience. And the way we're going to work that is you will have the opportunity to address a question to the whole panel or to a specific candidate. Now, if that specific candidate comments and another candidate wants to add something, we're going to play this kind of loose. If it gets carried away, we'll cut them off. <laughs> we will also give each candidate at the beginning um, two minutes, double what they had the last time. Well, I don't know if they, not, some of you didn't do this the last time because you weren't all at the, uh, at the League of Women Voters. That's right. They only had one minute there. Well, we're going to give them two minutes to introduce themselves, tell, tell us why they're running and what they're passionate about. So now I'd like you to welcome uh, kind of the instigator of all of this, Pat Terrell. Hi. I just wanted to let you know what this is all about. Um, I've lived in Valparaiso off and on for my entire 66 years on this earth, back and forth between Chicago and Valparaiso. And two and a half years ago, my husband and I moved back to Valpo full time. Um, and we started talking to people that we knew. And we said, you know, there's been a lot of, a lot of things going on in this community over the last 50, 60 years, but where do we want to go? Where does this community need to go to grow? Um, and not in terms of you know who needs to be elected or whatever, but what, what are the issues that we want to have? And so about a year and a half ago, we put together a group, and some of the people are in this room. Raise your hand if you're. You know, there's Jeff Helmers and George and all kinds of people from all and from all over um, Valparaiso to talk about what do we need um, to make this a better community. And we looked at areas of environment and education and healthcare and housing and economy safety, welcoming, um, and we put together the agenda that you have in the back. But I want to be real clear. This is not a, a cut-and-stone document. <laughs> this is meant to be an ongoing organizing tool. We have um, a uh, website that you can go on and look at where we put articles on that, that, um, that we want people to see. But we really want to hold people accountable. So this is not a one-shot deal for candidates, although we want you to respond to some of the questions we have and recommendations. We wanted the agenda to be very specific. What are the actions you can take? Not just airy-fairy, you know, how do, you, how do we want to live together, but what are the actions that can be taken, whether they're by citizens or elected officials or organizations. Um, and this is the first shot at um, trying to get people in, in uh, uh, 
positions of authority to take this seriously. But at, at the end of this um, evening, we want to talk about how to keep it going and keep it changing and keep organizing because just assuming that we're going to elect people who have the right kind of ideas and not participate and not advocate and not hold people accountable is not going to be enough. So I'm really thrilled to see so many people here, um, and I think we all are. And so I'm going to turn it over to Paul, and he's going to uh, start with the questions. Actually, I'm not. I'm going to give these guys the opportunity to introduce themselves, and then we're going to do that. But I, I, I didn't tell you that at the back table there are several documents that you should feel free to take. One of them is the Agenda for a Better Community, and one of them is the 50-year anniversary issue of the Project Neighbors newsletter, and that's the organization out of which this grew. But there's also a stack of statements written by five candidates who, for one reason or another, are not here tonight. Um, feel free to take one of those. And I don't take it personally that they're not here. If I was, a, those guys are running around like, uh, you know, the old saying, like chickens, uh, because this is a busy time. Some could have been here and declined because they just didn't want to do it, and many of them were simply busy. And five of them did write statements that we suggested. Now, I don't know how to start this, so I'm going to just have you introduce yourself, and you have two minutes. And do we have a timer yet? We don't. We'll, we'll wing it. Go. All right. Let's wing it. My name is Gilles Charrier, and uh, by now I think I know a lot of you. Uh, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Uh, I am a candidate for city council for District 5, and District 5 is the east side of the city. And that's why I speak like this. And on the east side of Valparaiso, I don't know if you're aware of it, but we, we have a different accent. <laughs> so really, I came uh, from France about 31 years ago. And I came to this area about 20 years ago. Uh, I have two uh, young adult children uh, who grew up here. Uh, I am a pilot with United. And uh, a few years ago, I, I, was, uh, I went through one of the, the best experiences of my life. Is I, I became a U.S. citizen. And thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate this, and, and and as you probably know, there's a test when when you go through the naturalization process, and, and one of the questions on the test is how, as a citizen, how do you participate in your democracy, and one of the answers was run for office, so that's why I'm here. Uh, you know, I've been uh, talking to a lot of people in Valparaiso, and uh, reading and thinking about it all day long and sometimes at night. And um, I think there are things that are very good in Valparaiso. I think there's always room for improvement. So, and also, you know, the future will bring on some challenges that we will have to face. So I, I hope I, I can be part of this. Thank you. Right on down the line. <laughs> Good evening. My name is Angie Crossan, and I'm running for the 4th District. Um, I moved here 20 years ago to go to law school and ended up loving it. Uh, my parents live on the East Coast. My dad is a retired general. I grew up military. I was born in uh, Beaufort, South Carolina, and lived in Arizona, lived in Japan, and ended up in Illinois. We're from central Illinois. Uh, my grandfather was in light politics. Some of these names you'll be familiar with. Senator Simon was a personal friend. Dick Durbin was a personal friend of my parents. Um, he actually helped my dad convert his squadron from the F-4 to the F-16. He got the federal funding, and he got to go 
go up in the jet with my dad too. So that was pretty cool. Um, I am very civic-minded. I grew up that way. I know no different um, than to be civically engaged. My parents had that expectation of me. I was a poli-sci major at the University of Illinois and uh, had a concentration in international relations. So it was a natural attrition to leave that and go into law school. But I waited about six years and had a two-year-old when I started and had my second son, my second year of law school, taught at Purdue in Hammond for about 14 years, and I'm an adjunct professor as well. Um, don't think there's much more to add than that. I love Valparaiso, and I want to make it a better, more welcoming place. Hi, I'm Sue Brown, and um, like Jill's, I became a citizen in my mid-20s. I was not born here. Um, I think I developed my interest in civic engagement, which is the popular term today, um, by watching my dad. My dad never spoke English, but he watched uh, the news every single day. And so, you know, my interest in what's going on uh, is from a very early age. I came here as a young wife and mother. Uh, I had a seven-year-old son at that time. And I had my second child born here. So I've raised my children here. They are now raising their children here. And during that time, I found Valparaiso affordable, livable, a comfortable, safe community with good schools. And I'd like to continue that. I, I'm not against development. However, in the first district, where I hope to be representing people, there's a lot of controversial development going on right now. I'm not opposed to development. I just want it to be balanced, and I want it to be fair to all. So that's basically why I'm running. I felt that, even though I never really had any interest in running, I was a journalist for more than 30 years, so I, was at, I had a different seat at the table. You know, although I was a journalist with an interest in public service, I never expected to run. But I became convinced that this is a very uh, defining moment for this community. I think the choices you make in November will define this community or could for years to come. And so I decided to take the leap. <laughs> Thank you, Sue. Yeah. A quick show of hands. How many of you were at last Wednesday's debate? Pretty good, pretty good. I'm sorry to disappoint you. I'm going to repeat myself a lot. <laughs> um, thank you to Trinity Lutheran for hosting us tonight. Thank you to ABC Valpo Group for putting this together and starting uh, this conversation. Um, as I said last week, our quality of life is a function of our relationships. Um, for the first 15 years I lived here, I wasn't in this community very much. I was a commuter. Uh, 13 hours a day, most days, for uh, five days a week, 48 weeks a year, I was gone out, outside of Valpo. And I see my mom in the audience, and I'm going to cry. <laughs> um, I just cry. That's what I do. I'm, I'm, I'm an empath. Um, but uh, when our son was born in 2009, uh, things started to change, and then in... Uh, about when he was about five and entering kindergarten, things really started to change. And I realized that, you know, spending my entire life away from the city in which I live was not a way to live, really. Um, so I started to make some changes in my life. I uh, got involved in my neighborhood association. And we did some great things together. 
Uh, we saved a house with Sue's help, she's my neighbor, on, uh, on Michigan Avenue from the bulldozer. Um, tomorrow, I'm sorry, Saturday, we're gonna have our second annual uh, tree planting with the city's help. Uh, we're just working together to make our little corner of the city a little bit better than it already is. And sometimes that's messy, uh, but it's worth it. Uh, the reason I'm running is to make sure that Valpo remains a place that is worthy of my son's generation's life and love. Thank you. Good evening, my name is Erin Stoich and I'm the candidate on the Democratic ticket for clerk treasurer. Um, I wanna thank Bill because I'm getting a tree planted in my easement this Saturday because I live in Central Neighborhood and they took my tree out a couple years ago and now I'm getting a new one, I'm so excited. So, start on a really positive note there. Um, so why I am running for clerk treasurer, um, it's not a policymaker, so I'm not gonna be able to vote on things like housing or our local economy. Um, but I think that the clerk treasurer has a duty to be a leader in the community and to use that leadership position and that voice for positive advancement. And we need to, like Gilles said, we need to acknowledge that we always have room for improvement. We can always build a better community. So that's something that I intend to do every day with my role as the, to my, the best of my ability given the scope of my, of my position. Um, my background is in social services. I worked for about eight years um, as a home visitor here in Valparaiso. I visited people in their homes on a daily basis to talk uh, with them about their children who had disabilities. So I thought that another thing about local government and just government in general is that we need more people that are socially minded, um, civically minded, and not just business owners. So um, that's another reason I wanted to get involved. Um, I currently, though, do work in municipal government. I serve as the deputy clerk treasurer for the town of Highland. My boss and mentor is one of the greatest clerk treasurers in the entire state. If you've heard of him, his name is Michael Griffin. You may have actually heard of him. He's phenomenal. He uh, teaches me something new pretty much seven times a day. And um, so I look forward to taking that experience and my compassion, my heart, and moving that into the city of Valpo to serve. Good evening, I'm Todd Etzler. I'm running at large along with uh, Elizabeth Werfel as the other at large candidate uh, on the Democrat slate and um, uh, she's traveling somewhere. I'm not exactly sure where, but uh, I saw some pictures on the internet today. <laughs> I'm not sure they were appropriate. But, um, <laughs> but at, I'm teasing, yes. Uh, the, uh, from, I'm here in, uh, running for city council because my entire life have been, has been um, growing up in Valparaiso and been a part of Valparaiso. And I see people in the uh, in the crowd where I've gone fishing with when I was five years old, and people that I've served on boards with over the period of time. And this is the next step in my public service that I uh, am uh, have been about for the uh, the last thirty years. Um, I have fiance Danielle, and uh, she too uh, came to the United States from Macedonia when she was five. So we uh, we listen to the TV sometimes, yell at it, and um, uh, the uh, have five daughters with the uh, the two of us, and uh, saw one last night with my newest granddaughter that will be here in January sometime, and then 
Just spoke with my youngest daughter, who's a junior in high school in Lafayette, that took the PSAT yesterday, so she uh, was stressed out, and now she's relieved. Um, I, uh, I, when I saw uh, over the, the last year the, uh, the ABC uh, book that came out, um, it was really cool to see because we've heard during this campaign about how great Valparaiso is, and no one is going to say that Valparaiso is not a great place to be living. Um, I've worked for uh, several companies, well, three companies. Uh, one was my law firm, Berkestans and Carberry. Uh, then, uh, that they always play music when I say that. Uh, <laughs> then, then for six years for Family Express, and now I'm general counsel with Horizon Bank. And with each one of those companies, um, they, they are very high quality companies. And um, like Valparaiso, it's a high-quality community. But uh, at work, we always say, you know, are we in the top quartile of every single uh, company of our nature in the United States? And if we're not, uh, then we say we have room to, to improve. And so Valparaiso, until we're the top 10% of every city in the, in the United States, we have room to improve. And I there in, if you make it in one area, you will have an opportunity in other areas that still have room to grow. But that's what I'm about, is taking us to the next level and moving Belbo forward. Um, hello, and um, thank you, host, uh, Paul, uh, Patty, and uh, Trinity Lutheran Church, everybody that's uh, come out to listen to the candidates. Um, I'm different than everybody up here, I think. Uh, Purple in, shirt. <laughs> in, that is, in as much as uh, I currently serve as a city councilman, and um, gotcha. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and when I first arrived as a city councilman, uh, I expressed my sincere desire to work uh, with uh, with my teammates, I guess you could call it a team, uh, but work across the aisle collaboratively uh, in such a way as I thought the council constituted in such a manner as it was, as it had become after years and years and years of one worldview that uh, couldn't see what was actually happening in Valparaiso as it relates to some of the cries and some of the things that began to reflect, I say it, as a tale of two cities. Um, and um, but I felt like there were some very specific things that we could get done, uh, and I intended to work collaboratively. I thought that the mayor, as a lifelong friend of mine, uh, got it. Uh, I know he understood that I meant it, and I was able to demonstrate that as I uh, as I proceeded. Um, so four years later, here we are. You may have heard of me. Uh, I'm the guy that's hard to work with. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm the guy that's hard to work with. And, um, you know, again, that's, uh, that's not something that I really, uh, that I really believe is, uh, is, is authentic. Uh, I do believe, however, uh, it has a lot to do with the nature of how one worldview and or, uh, you know, just uh, not having a diverse and dynamic engagement in a manner similar to to corporations, uh, to, to the best organizations in the world, um, you know, that people send, tend to just not get it uh, because of their, their, their bubble, the, the limited view, a limited sight that comes in um, 
of One World View. Hasn't been quite two minutes yet, but I will go on and say, uh, has it been two minutes? All right, well, let me say this. I was a lifelong stockbroker uh, after graduating from Valparaiso University in 1980. Uh, I've lived in Valparaiso since I was 11 years old, a 50-year resident, and uh, my, my path towards uh, leadership uh, actually stems from uh, inspiration that I gained uh, as a young kid, understanding the value of civic engagement through following the career of Martin Luther King Jr. and living through some of the calamity in the 60s, where in fact I saw three presidents assassinated, not three, Bobby should have been president, uh, and uh, Martin Luther King could have been president as well, but three major national figures assassinated, and I saw the impact uh, in my community. Uh, moving to Valparaiso offered a promise, a promise that I believe is uh, to some extent a fleeting promise for many families who reflect some of the characteristics that mine did when we got here. And I'm compelled to make certain uh, that everybody's voice in Valparaiso will always count and that, that it will remain a city that offers promise uh, for people regardless of their uh, income strata. So thank you for the additional minute and a half. Now we're going to do four questions directed at the entire panel, coming from the, some of the folks that participated in creating the, the agenda for a better community. We're going to start with George Terrell. Thanks. Welcome. Uh, for the past uh, little over a year, I've been working with a group. We started by reading a book called White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism. And we call ourselves uh, uh, allies against racism and white supremacy. It's been over 100 people in our community have met every month or six weeks. And we decided that we needed to educate ourselves about how racism works specifically in our town. And we have had the, the benefit of talking with a number of people of color. And everybody says Valparaiso is a very welcoming community. And it is for some but not for others. And uh, there are people of color who experience uh, aggressions every day. And uh, there are problems in our schools with bullying based on race. And uh, part of this has come from the fact that our leadership doesn't have uh, uh, as diverse uh, uh, characteristics as we might like. And so the specific question is, what can you do? What will you use your authority and your persuasive abilities to try to broaden the leadership in our city departments, our police department, our school board, and especially in the classroom in all levels of our schools because it's important to have people that represent uh, different races, different genders, different sexual preferences, different economic status. And so we want to know what you can do to try to broaden out the representation uh, in the leadership level. Whoever wants to start can start, but we'll try to get everybody a chance to comment. I'd like to see a hand up. Bill, you want to go? I'll go first since I'm running for mayor. Um, <laughs> And I, I, don't, I only say that, honestly, not because I like being the center of attention, but because um, as mayor, I mean, I think that's where the buck stops with this question. 
One of the things that was originally proposed by the Human Relations Council when the Community Engagement Director position was created was to make um, diversity in hiring one of the main charges of that role. I believe that was dropped completely from the job description. So as the very first thing uh, we can do is put that back in, or at least put it in the hands of somebody, um, if it's not that person or that role, who is concerned with it. Uh, that's number one. Uh, number two is setting a general tone uh, throughout the city in meetings and interactions we have day to day with one another face to face, um, in public forums, and in the many ways we communicate with one another through digital media and newsletters and things like that. Um, to, to set the expectation that uh, we're not as welcome to all that we could be. Uh, I mentioned last week that there's a 28-year study been conducted by, I think, Larry Boss here and his students over the years um, that recorded bias-related incidents um, since 1990 across various Northwest Indiana communities. And Valparaiso stands at the very I guess, bottom of that list, if you will, um, with 80 bias-related reported incidents um, more than twice the nearest community. So there's obviously work to do. The mayor can start that work, and I intend to do so. This is a toss-up, folks. Well, the city council works as a body. So again, uh, it requires uh, more than a couple who share a worldview, who would work with the mayor in earnest and not uh, and give him the votes that he would need necessarily. I know that he has a unique uh, posture in Indiana as uh, we are a strong mayor state uh, with a lot of appointment power. And of course, he hires his department heads uh, and or he reconditions his department heads to make certain that uh, his priorities are those that they will meet. So. As, a, as an individual councilman, you really don't have a lot of uh, power to do much in, with regard to this except but for to support policies and initiatives that come forth uh, through uh, the mayor and or through um, you know, housing developments. I mean, there are any number of things that we might vote on with respect to facilitating um, uh, that type of uh, platform. <coughs> uh, like Bill here, I... Um first thing that came to mind was the Human Relations Council. That was a great move forward. But I would add to that, I was also disturbed when they took out the job descriptions. Jobs, housing, those are the very things that we use to keep people out. So I would like to see the Human Relations Council be far more proactive. I would certainly uh, take everything they, they would bring to us seriously. I don't think that's always happened. But I would take it very seriously, and I would encourage them to be very proactive with the issues that they, that they bring before us. Um, I was very much a supporter of the uh, welcoming ordinance. Uh, it, I was president when it was adopted in Gary. It has run into problems. Uh, however, in, in principle, I very much support that. It was picked up by other communities. It was brought, and you can correct me if, if I'm wrong, it was brought before the Valparaiso Human Relations Council first. And actually, I don't think received as I would have preferred that it be received. And I don't know if it ever came back. 
But if it ever came before the council, you can bet I would be supporting the welcoming ordinance. So um, also, you know, Martin Luther King said, if you want to see discrimination, you know, uh, uh, come to Chicago. I was raised in Chicago, but you know what? There's another Chicago. Yes, there are very bad areas in Chicago where people have been victimized, people of color have been very victimized, put into ghettos, kept out of good schools, kept out of jobs, kept out of good housing. But I met my first people of color when I was seven years old, you know, in my neighborhood on the Northwest side. So I mean, you know, I, I just don't feel the same sense of isolation from people of color that maybe some people in Valparaiso do because I grew up with them, I've worked with them, I spent many years working in the city of Gary, I grew to love the city of Gary, I found Gary to, people to be some of the most warm, welcoming people you would ever want to meet and they feel just as strongly about cleaning up their city as we do here. So. I mean, I may have a little bit of a different perspective on color. I would be very, very open to our opening the doors in any way that we can to people of any color, any background, any immigrants. I was an immigrant. My parents were immigrants. So, you know, I have some understanding of that, too. And I think we have to make this community welcoming to all. We have to look at our commonalities, not our differences, but our commonalities. We really are just one family. And we have to get beyond our differences and look at what we share. So I have some specific um, programs that I would like to see put into place. Um, unfortunately, I have had law school colleagues friends of my children that have been racially profiled here in um, Valparaiso, so I can speak from personal experience with them. A couple things, there's a city that I'm watching and it behooves me right now, but um, it is in Indiana and the city council, well the city, the municipality, actually implements programs much like the VIC, like Dwayne does, but from the top down. So they're having a festival of lights that's coming up and it's a municipal supported program. And I think we have to start with that because that sends a really loud message that we are supporting diversity from the top down. Second, um, I'm not opposed to taking some of that $4 million of that rainy day fund and hiring even a part-time diversity officer, whatever title you want to use, but somebody that that is their job is to look at this, and it's an employee of the, of the city of Valparaiso. The other thing we talk about a lot are abatements and tiffs. Well, why don't we take a percentage, if we're giving them out, and say, here's the quid pro quo. You want this, but 40% of this is going to go towards a social justice fund. And part of that will fund the Human Relations Council and empower you guys and provide you funding and actual um, empowerment so that you guys can do things. And lastly, our website needs to reflect diversity. <laughs> so let's start with the very basics. <laughs> Thank you. The, uh, I, I really feel that uh, personally as a city council member, it's, it will fall on me to, uh, to watch what's going on and see that things happen. And it's, it's not necessarily uh, programs, although that's important, but it's really ha keeping an issue like this out in the forefront and being accountable for, uh, for these issues. And um, 
if we continue to go into the same pond for the for the people that we're looking for as employees, for board members, for uh, uh, city uh, or for uh, the the school board, we will get the same people over and over. But if you make this uh, like we do in in my employer, uh, a goal that you need to find additional people that you have never talked to before that look different than you that may uh, not be heterosexual. Uh, to come onto your board because we all we've the, the studies have shown that diversity is a good thing and we get better results when you collaborate with more voices in the in the room. It's very clear. Uh, so for those people that don't understand the the reason for it, if they if it's only dollars and cents, it makes you better dollars and cents and it gives you better results. Uh, from uh, every month when we have, or uh, periodically, quarterly probably, uh, we look at the hiring of our, of our company and say, how many of these people did we interview that were not white men in the banking industry? And um, we do that on a regular basis from the board to the CEO to everyone and the executives looking at this. And there's no reason for uh, Todd Etzler as an at-large candidate on the city council each month to be saying how many people outside of our regular pond did we interview for that position and have it be reported to the city council in, in uh, a public way. Uh, these things keep it in the forefront, they keep the feet to the fire, and they, they find, helps, makes you find people that we know are out there that are different than us. Um, and if you keep it out in the forefront, I did this with uh, our uh, uh, our lawyer association when we had gay marriage uh, on the on the agenda in the state, and we had to decide whether we we're gonna were we gonna stay neutral on the thing, or are we gonna go against the the governor and everybody else in the legislature? And um, I wrote on in this to the board, and I said. This is something that we have to take a stand on because this is what we as lawyers are responsible for. And they fortunately agreed that this was what, how, what we would do. Um, but you gotta stand up in front of a group of 60 of your peers and say, we need to do this because it's the right thing to do. And if it's not me as an individual doing it, it's not gonna happen with a committee somewhere else. So I really believe it falls on our shoulders. One more thing, you know, you can't untrain, you can't train racism and uh, and bias out of people. There's a lot of notion that you can have uh, programs and uh, circumstances whereby you know it's all appearing to reflect something other than than it is. But I think that to the to the crux of how you how you change or move people is to give them opportunities to have constructive. Uh, engagement, constructive interaction. One of the things that is a great inhibitor with respect to the current um, imperative for department heads uh, on the diversity charge uh, is this notion, this false narrative, and we're full of false narratives, uh, a false narrative saying that uh, we just can't find uh, a qualified guy and that uh, we only hire the best. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, I mean, I, I keep in touch, and I think it's important, but there's very little that happens without policy and initiatives that uh, promote the type of gra grassroots uh, engagement in parks, uh, not central parks, but neighborhood parks. I'm sorry, I'm taking a lot more time than I should, but I wanted to just co compound the fact that, you know, you bump into narratives that I think are being beat back now because of the wrong people 
are leading the city. So that's what it all boils down to. Anybody else? Once, twice, gone. I'm, I'm, we're gonna do three more of these questions across the board, and because there are a bunch of you, limit your answers. Uh, George is over there timing, and he's telling me, Paul, talking too much. He's talking too much. So I, I, I <laughs> whatever. So next question is going to go to Larry Boss. Larry's gonna ask a question about the issue of affordable housing. As I looked at all of you, I have to make a comment here, Paul. Well, first, this is a Lutheran institution, and by law, we have to have coffee back there, so <laughs> make, make sure that uh, you follow the gospel here and, and take some coffee if you have time to do that kind of stuff. Second thing is, as I looked at all of you, uh, at one time or another, I've asked you this question already. So it's like, as being a teacher, it's kind of like, you already had this question a long time ago. I think, Bill, you still got one coming up. And if people don't know, Paul and I have been doing a radio program called ABC at Noon, talking about these issues for uh, a couple months. And if you go to the ABC, oh, where, where is it? Oh, no, if you go to WVLP.org, uh, no, you, where is it at? Oh, no, it's, it's on our Facebook. It's on, our, on, on the WVLP Facebook, you can get all, interviews with all these people, except Bill, you're still yet to come, okay? So if you, so you want to hear more of these people, you can do that. Um, this, again, Aaron, your, your function is different here, so it's hard to get questions. But anyway, let me get to the question then. There's been a lot of talk um, about housing in this community at least among some people, there's been a lot of talk about it. And there was some anticipation of another uh, study uh, done by the city, okay? Uh, but based on what we already know, is there a problem in this community with providing quality housing for all persons, no matter their income level? And if so, what can we do about it? It's a toss up. Paul, well, there's, give, there, there's definitely a minute and a half. Minute and a half. You see, George turned okay. red. No, I'll, I'll do this. <laughs> there's, there's, uh, that's fine. There's definitely a problem, but uh, a lot of the problem uh, comes from uh, the um, the nature of of what forces uh, are overarching uh, our city, uh, including, and of course, if you've been at other of these events, you've heard me talk about the one percent property tax cap. Uh, and the limited uh, resources that municipalities have. Uh, we don't have very many other resources other than uh, your property taxes. Um, and so with the property taxes cap, the way that a city is able to continue to pay its police, its fire, grow its street, fix its roads is higher tax revenue. And so therefore there's an imperative for higher assessed value. And if the assessed value imperative is higher, and in fact it's being incentivized by the city uh, at the high end, uh, it must also then to be incentived at the moderate end. It's, it's difficult to build in environments like this with respect to the overarching uh, forces that are over a city. And if in fact the city's disposition uh, is uh, we don't interfere with the market with respect to residential, however we do in a way when we cherry pick those things that are high density downtown feeding the highest Palma God, whoever that <laughs> report is. What that point is, is that uh, we have to have a balanced approach to our, 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 our tool, as we call it, an economic development arm, the Redevelopment Commission, uh, in as much as we, uh, I did vote for 
I'm sorry, my minute and a half, I voted for the, the inclusion of housing uh, as something that we would incentive, um, feeling as though that now can be transposed onto more moderate uh, housing as well, meaning that no one wants to get into a market where they're not going to make any money. Can I take this up? Um, I'd like to point to one thing. I think that, uh, interestingly, the, the cost of housing and, and uh, that cost going up also links to the question we had before, that sometimes it could be used as a way to control who lives in our city. Um, and so I'll say that. And also, uh, I'm looking at the projects that we have uh, that uh, were either annexed or rezoned this year, the Brooks, uh, St. Paul Square, the new Hawthorne on the north side, and all those developments are basically uh, 250000 or above, or much above, right? And, and uh, I think if we keep going that way, there'll be some concerns, some that maybe we don't even think about. For example, one of them in a selfish way is uh, when I get older and retire, I am older, but I'll get even older, hopefully. <laughs> and when I retire, uh, if I want to stay in Valparaiso and downsize, uh, how... Uh, how easy will it be, or will it be possible, or am I going to be fighting another <laughs> hundred people to look for the, the apartments that are the size where I want to live, right? And uh, also our youngsters, you know, once they're finished with school, if they want to live in Valparaiso, I want them to have that, that, that uh, chance to do it. And... Um, uh, it goes also for you know a new teacher, a new police officer, a new firefighter in in town. Uh, I want them, if they choose to do so, to be able to live in our town. I'd like to pick up on that. Um, much of what is going on that's controversial uh, is happening in the first and second districts. I live in the first district. I, I live two houses. I mean, I'm sorry, two blocks north of the uh, courthouse. So I'm right in the heart of what's going on. I'm also right in the heart of area where there are a large amount of tenants. So I know what's going on as far as my neighborhood with the, ten with the rents that are just going through the roof. What I'd like to pick up on is that there have been studies over some, over a decade, you know, many studies uh, done by Mr. Boss, you know, done by the university, done by the United Way, the Alice Report, done by the city itself. And they all agree that we have a problem. So when I heard that, yes, we, uh, the way the city administration is dealing with that is saying, but they can't define affordable housing. And so they need another study to do that. It's very disturbing to me because the facts have already been out there for a number of years. This is not happening in a vacuum. We, are, we already know what the numbers are. So I find that very disturbing. I go to the city council meetings and I hear about this economic toolkit, just very quickly. This economic toolkit only works for the high-end housing. I have asked, can we use this economic toolkit for lower income housing? And I never get a straight answer. So that, that's another reason that I would like to run for council because I think there's a lot more out there that we could work with. I am convinced of that. Okay, so again, I said I was gonna repeat myself. 
Uh, I'll try to add a little bit more color than I said last week. Uh, in America, the housing market is broken. The only thing worse than the housing market is the healthcare market, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, Twenty-two percent of American families are married with children. More than 60% of the homes in America are geared towards single families. That's a broken market, okay? Why is it broken? Well, that's complicated. It's broken because of federal tax policy. It's broken because of state tax policy, that which Robert already mentioned. It's also broken, though, because of things we do here at home. We make it very restrictive. What, who can build what and where? We need to relax those restrictions and let the market work. Um, we need to have uh, a housing advisory commission, just like the Human Rights Commission, uh, uh, Relations Council, rather, uh, to regularly monitor, meet, and make recommendations on this policy. It's just something we should always be monitoring um, because it's a dynamic world we live in. Uh, there's some things that are in the ABC agenda that I don't agree with, and I will tell you what some of those things are. I'm not a big fan of inclusionary zoning. Inclusionary zoning is when you require a developer to set aside certain number of units in a building for, um, for affordable housing or pay a penalty for doing it. I'm not a big fan of it. I've seen other cities try it. It doesn't seem to work. There's a couple other policies, but I'm getting the bell, so uh, I'll let somebody else speak. I talked about accountability. I'm a little bit afraid to talk about this because it may feel make us feel uncomfortable. Um, in Valparaiso and many communities, it's, it's nationwide, we've rezoned property to be all R1. And uh, redevelopment of older places inside the town that is zoned R1 cannot be redeveloped as a two or three unit space. I think Mr. Krim calls it uh, the, the missing middle of those properties. That's where we get, we need a mix of, of housing and that you can only get it if you can build it. Uh, Minneapolis went and rezoned a bunch of property that was R1 in their downtown area to a R2 or an R3. So you can do two or three unit flats. Have a family member that's the planner of Portland. Uh, you want to talk about a problem with, with housing and expense there? Uh, he says it's impossible. It's impossible. And the Amazons and Googles of the world come after you when you when they you try to go after the companies. Uh, and it's true. They, they shouldn't be paying for this necessarily. But they, uh, they, instead of rezoning, they say, we are now open to rezoning. So when you come, you have a neighbor in uh, the downtown area that uh, buys two lots and says, I want to put two, three units on this property, and it needs to be rezoned. And you're a neighbor of those two properties. What happens? You all show up at the uh, meeting and say, we don't want this in our neighborhood. That is what has to change, and the, the people that are rezoning has to permit that to happen. I just want to thank you, Chuck. Um, not really in my purview, can't make policy about housing, but um, just to pick up on what Todd said, um, I, I live uh, on Chestnut Street, and my backyard is the St. Paul Square. Um, so yes, I am that really sad person that lives in that really sad house with a ton of construction going on two years, and I think we've got at least three more. Um, I have a lot of dirt and dust on my back porch. Um, 
But I think that transparency in how we do things and having city council members that solicit the opinions and then vote based on those opinions of the people in these communities is what's going to make a difference. If we open it up to allowing our community members to comment and give feedback on what they want to see in their neighborhood or in their community, um, we're likely to have more diverse housing and, and things that fit in the neighborhood instead of putting a nearly $400,000 condo uh, behind my house, which is two bedrooms and uh, 1,300 square feet. It doesn't really fit there. So um, that, that would be my two cents. Thanks. The only thing, the only thing I want to add is to make this real because I have to have tangibility. I had dinner with a friend who's a single mom who's moving out of Valparaiso. She shared with me two weeks ago that she can't afford $1,400 in rent and to pay fees for her kids to be in band and sports. And then I met with a couple in Laporte um, at a high school football game who were from Valparaiso. He's a Navy reservist and she's a special ed teacher. And she said, Angie, I cannot afford to buy a place in Valparaiso. So here I am in Laporte. So that's all I have to say. Okay, the next question is going to deal with health care, and it's going to be Pat Terrell again. It's very weird to have worked in something for 40 years, and it's worse than it was when I started. I'm not taking total responsibility. Um, but, and, I, and I think that you probably all thinking, well, health care, even though it's the number one issue for everybody in this country, it's a, it's a federal issue or it's a, at best a state issue. I want to propose to you that it's a local issue. And I want you to think about something. Um, we have a very unique situation in Cook, in Cook County, in Porter County. Um, a dozen years ago, when the county sold Porter, Porter Memorial Hospital to a for-profit corporation, a, a conversion found in, a foundation was set up, $140 million, to support efforts in this community to increase, enhance the health of the community. As of, what was it, Paul, two weeks ago, that, that foundation, which is totally staffed and operated and controlled by the Porter County Board of Commissioners, is now $166 million, with almost no money being allocated to uh, improving the health of this community. Now, I know Valparaiso is not Porter, Porter, uh, Porter County, but it's the largest population center in Porter County. I really want you to think about um, as a force, as a city council, as a mayor, as a clerk treasurer, what can you do to go to that county board, and we'll all go with you, right? Um, and say, we want every year, instead of that money sitting there and gathering interest for the county and doing nothing for this community, we want money spent on detox centers. We want money spent on, you know, we have lost the, nav we have 3,000 people in this community who are uninsured. We'd, and we lost, um, after the, with the current administration, we've lost all efforts to get navigators out there to show people how to enroll in, in programs they can be um, enrolled in. We could be doing things like they're doing in Phoenix, where if you know, uh, I, I assume Valparaiso is very much like other um, other communities where about 90% of the 911 calls to fire departments are people who need health care. So they're taken to emergency rooms and dropped off. You can, you can, all these firefighters were trained after 911 to be EMTs. They could be engaged in improving the health of the community, but the community is not just medical care for, to improve your health status. It's housing, it's education, it's all kinds of services, it's mental health. 
But as a community, I just want you to think as leaders of Valparaiso, the largest community in Porter County, to not let this, we, we, we've sent people to these meetings. <laughs> and the meetings are a report of the earnings report of the foundation, spending nothing. If you just spent the, the interest every year on initiatives to improve the health of, this, of Porter County, um, what that would mean to this community, how this would expand HealthLink, how this would expand other services. So I would like you to t kind of think, maybe you haven't thought about this before, um, but if you have some thoughts on what you could do as leaders of Valparaiso to spur um, the investment and the health of this community, I'd appreciate hearing it. Yeah, several years ago when Dick Wathen, I think he actually led that effort, he was a client of mine, and he talked about the whole process of uh, selling the hospital uh, and what that might render for the community. Uh, I became interested in it, and this was probably in, I don't know, 2008 or nine. I mean, it was early, a long time ago. But then I saw it evolve, and I saw it sitting in uh, just uh, government-issued bonds, very short-term paper with very minuscule earnings. And I advocated very hard for them to establish uh, a, major mon a major moves type of uh, program where we would be able to uh, have a, a, a more advanced, a more sophisticated investment profile, giving us the ability for that money to make, make more, more than 1% uh, on, on, the, on the balance. So in doing that, it was my thought that uh, as a benevolent uh, a foundation, a community foundation, uh, not a community foundation, but a, um, I guess, a, say it again? Conversion foundation. A conversion foundation. They actually call it a, a, a different foundation name. I, I, I challenged uh, in their court, in their corridors, uh, in the hall of uh, the commissioners, uh, the very legality of using that type of money uh, as a, as in the way that they do to run government. Uh, it, it's fundamentally uh, corrupt, I believe, to use vacillating numbers in a manner that you are now filling gaps in covering up the the, the excesses of uh, what they do and, uh, and don't pay for with what they should be doing in raising taxes. Meaning what, they, what they're using the foundation for to do construction and remodeling uh, and in, in essence uh, supporting the county budget is wrong. And that and won't change until you get people in Portage, Hebron, and Valparaiso, the citizens, you know, you know running these guys uh, into a right-minded way of thinking about what those what those funds should be doing, and I agree with you wholeheartedly uh, with respect to their use. I'd like to say a couple of things. Um, one is we have to get people to run for county office uh, to really change that process, uh, just like we're trying to do here tonight and changing our city. We need people who are like-minded, who care about this issue, and want to see those funds used differently to also run for county office. Um, that would be a good place to start. Um, not to pass the buck, but that's just the most direct route in my view. Um, 